Hey, everybody. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days, your hub for the 2021 D3 Outdoor Championships. Wow, what a great weekend it was for track and field. Congrats to the Loris women's team for repeating as national champions. And congrats to the men of Warburg for winning their national title. It was an exciting weekend. Came down to the 4x4s as you love to see. It was great just to see D3 check and field athletes and coaches back together, competing hard, ripping fast times, throwing the, the implements far, jumping high, jumping long. Just everything about seeing track and field back in action at the D3 level was super exciting. I'm joined again by Annie Rodenfels and Jordan Carpenter to break down what we saw, what, we, what was surprising, and just our thoughts on the overall production of the live stream we give a little bit of some insight as to maybe how we can improve it, and we go from there. So we mentioned that we did have a prediction contest, and funny enough, Jordan Carpenter came away on top. He won by 15 points over the Nebraska Wesleyan track team. Not sure who filled out that prediction form, but shout out to the Nebraska Wesleyan track team. In third place was Andrew Kummer. In fourth place was Ryan Mitchell. And in fifth place was Henry Strybe. So yeah, great prediction contest. Congrats to everyone who was in the top five. And thanks to everyone who filled out their form. We hope you enjoy the coverage we brought you this week and weekend. If you're not following us on Twitter or Instagram, please do so. D3 Glory Days on all social media. Stay tuned. We have some exciting episodes coming to you this week. As always, here's to the glory days. All right. Welcome back to D3 glory days. As we continue to cover the D3 outdoor championships, I'm joined again by the preview crew, Annie Rodenfels, Jordan Carpenter. Thanks for coming back to talk more track. Yeah, thanks for having us again. <laughs> We're out here. We're here. Nonstop coverage. This is going to be our fourth episode of the weekend. And we're hopefully not going to ramble as much as we did during the preview show. <laughs> but let's cut right to it. So the women's champions, Loris, they repeat in thrilling fashion and on the men's side it comes down to the four by four and Warburg takes it for their first title in a while so that was a lot of fun Jordan I know uh as a Oshkosh fan you're probably like oh we needed the four by four they were tied headed into it and Eau Claire was down three with 45 points going in the four by four I actually thought Eau Claire put new singlets on and that was them who won. I didn't, I didn't have audio on, so I didn't realize it was Rowan. And so I thought like, oh no, they just walked off the national championship uh, with that win, but it turns out it was, it was Rowan. Uh, yeah. What did you see in the team battle that, that got you excited about the day? Yeah. I mean, on the men's side, I, I think you hit on it. Like uh, Warburg did a, a lot of what they were supposed to do. Um, you know, they had a, handful of events where you know maybe maybe someone placed a spot or two lower than than they were uh projected but but really you know avoided any any major um letdowns and and, and did really well um and you know Oshkosh actually had a really strong um final day they had you know they finished second in the four by one uh running on their own because they got you know they protested their way into the final only an eight lane track. So if you got nine teams, right, everybody can't run together. So they had to run by themselves and, and finish second still overall based on time. Um, they had the hundred meter runner finish second, uh, a big surprise. Um, yeah. And then they got to the four by four and you just knew, okay, this is all they can do, right? They were capped out. Um, every other top team had a four by four and, and they just had to watch. Um, yeah, and Eau Claire, um, you know, they were one of the only teams that that actually, you know, outdid what they were supposed to do on on paper. Um, and a, a lot of it came down to the relays. Neither one was projected to make the final. Um, both did and, and both scored um, team points. Um, I think they got uh, almost 10 points um, 
from those relays. Um, and, and you saw at the end, that's what bumped him up into second place. Um, so yeah, so uh, it, it was really close. Um, you know, I texted Sue, I'm like, man, if the UWO four by four got through, this probably would have come down to two points, uh, exactly like I had said on the preview show. Um, but um, really close, um, exactly what you want to see um, coming down to the four by four. And, and we saw the same thing on the women's side. Actually, on the women's side, it came down to the triple jump with the, the delay. Um, so the four by four was was done and over. And, and we had to wait for the four by four to, to figure out who was going to be or that. Sorry, the triple jump final to finish up um, to see if Loris was going to pull it out. Um, some other drama and that women's four by four, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, no, watching that four by four and I was tweeting out, uh, you know, Sunni Geneseo wins. I was so excited because that was the, the meet. I was done tweeting and you're like, hey, get back on Twitter. They just got DQ'd and trying <laughs> to figure that out. Annie, in your experience, have you ever had, you know, maybe at the conference type, maybe at the conference championship or even nationals when you guys brought some other individuals with anything like that where you're waiting and waiting to see what happens and then eventually you get reinstated as the champion? No, no, <laughs> never. That has never happened to me. That sounds very stressful. Um, we never won a conference title at center when I was there on the women's side. So I wish that had happened that like we had been <laughs> reinstated and won somehow, but absolutely. That sounds excruciating um, and very stressful, especially for a coach. Also, I'd like to note that I was listening to what you guys did after day two. And I had no idea about the $50 for the appeals, I audibly gasped when I heard that because <laughs> I did not know that. So that was a very nice tidbit to include. And I am astonished that that is a thing. So that is my one comment on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, the idea behind the, the money is they don't want coaches protesting everything because um, right. that's what would happen. So I think they want there to be a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of the, the skin in the game. Um, and something to prevent coaches from protesting everything. Because um, but you know who off. loves to protest? Our track coaches. They just can't stand <laughs> when things don't go their way. And so they are ready to <laughs> protest anything and anything. Yeah, but it paid off for, for SUNY Geneseo. You know, originally uh, mm. DQ'd. They, uh, they protested the protest, which you can do. Um, <laughs> and they, they won it. Um, they, they reversed the decision and... Um, it would, it'd be really interesting to hear the, the conversation that the, the meet officials had um, for as to why they originally DQ'd and then uh, changed it. Um, but it, it actually didn't uh, impact the overall team standings because yeah. um, there was, you know, a 10 point gap between um, SUNY in third and, and Ithaca in fourth. Um, so that didn't change, but obviously um, huge for those athletes uh, on that relay team that, yeah. that then got to go stand on top of the podium. So, um, you know, I obviously whatever, you know, originally it said a lane violation, um, SUNY Geneseo dominated that race. So, uh, not something that I think really impacted the outcome. So I was really happy they reversed that decision and, and those, uh, those women got to go stand atop the podium like they deserved. Before we break down some, uh, some of the events individually, I want to go through and give your sprinter jumper MVP of the meet and a distance runner MVP of the mm. meet. Um, since I brought that on you right now, I'll go first since I already have mine so that way you all can think. Uh, my sprinter jumper MVP, Emily LaVarnway, SUNY Geneseo. Mm. I didn't realize this. We, we mentioned that she was the heptathlon champion, anchored that four by four in 54 seconds but she also was in the one tens. Unfortunately, she didn't qualify oh for the final. She was in, she was 10th in the prelim uh, and, you know, barely missing it out on that. Missed it by uh, less than, uh, missed it by 1.12. So 12.12, uh, crazy, helped. She, she beat the national record holder in the heptathlon, as we mentioned on the day two recap, plus a 54 last split on the anchor leg to secure their title. So I'm gonna give it to her on, the, on that side. And conversely on the men's side, it's gonna to go to uh, Marcus Weaver, Eau Claire. He won the decathlon and uh, the javelin throw. So he did 10 events, comes back on the same day, maybe a few hours later and throws a javelin for the win. I, I believe the um, USTFF, CCCA, you know, that whole abbreviation, 
they <laughs> said that was the first time anyone's done that. I don't know if it was just in D3 or in general, but that's a pretty big feat to win both. And then distance side of things, we're going to go with Matt Wilkinson. I think that's kind of a, a easy pick there. 847, 1355 double, 3K, 5, 3K steeple, 5K. And the women's side, you know, you have Parley winning two events. <laughs> you have Esther setting a meet record. You have Emily Pomainville setting a national record, winning the title number two. You got to go to the national record. She, even though she loses in the 800, set a national record from the prelim by herself is super impressive. I don't want to discredit anything Parley did. I think she had a great meet. Same with Esther. Um, those were the three champions of the weekend. But when you can go out, set a national record, come back the next day, qualify for the 800 final, and then run two events and finish first and second, I mean, that's a that's a doozy of a weekend. So she gets my nod. I, I was also going to give the heptathlete that, but since you said it, I'll go a different way. Um, I'm going to give it to Bailey for the 100, 200 double. And then, I mean, I have to alternatively for the men's, I've got to get it to JP Vaught, obviously center college roll kernels, 100, 200. He came in, I think he was 15. No, 15th, I think 11th in the 100. 11. 11, yeah, yeah. One both. I knew he'd rise the occasion. I mean, I've got to give it to him. Obviously I can't not, um, but then on the distance, yeah, I mean, Matt Wilkinson, that's easy. I just, he came so close to both records. Um, and then solo, obviously, on that steeple, it looked effortless. Um, so him, um, yeah, I feel like women's distance MVP, that is a toss-up. Because on one hand, um, Emily Pomainville did do a lot of different events. But, that, I mean, 5K, 10K is always, I want to give kudos to um, Parley Hannon. That's the difficult. Uh, that's a lot of races. And 16.22 still is also a very competitive time um, after a 10K in the conditions. I mean, I'm assuming it was cooler at that point after the rain, but still very good. But I think I've also got to give it to Emily. Um, the 413 is just, I mean, no joke. That's that's competitive D1. Um, so I don't know. I feel like the 1500 has been slower in the last couple of years, I feel like, to a point where I feel like there has been a disconnect between times that the top D1 girls are running and the times that D3 is. And in some of the other events, I think we're closer. I think the 5K usually um, usually comes around like a mid D1 kind of girl runner with the top D3 runners. But in the 1500, I feel like there's been a gap there. And I feel like that was like, like she, I mean, that's, she really closed it there. So hats off to her. I've got to give it to her, but definitely a nod to Parley for that. Yeah. You know, I think you guys took a lot of them. One that I'm going to you know, on the women's uh, side, you know, I know you said sprints, jumps. I'm actually going to go throws. Um, Sorry, so, I meant to say sprints and field event. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with UWO rower, Sydney Thompson. Um, she won both the discus and the shot put. Um, so two, two big wins um was ranked first and third coming in um and outdid her her projections and then almost was all american in hammer as well finished ninth um the my my uh my college coach always called it the attaboy all american um just because you're so close um but um yeah so she had a tremendous weekend um they were they were just off the podium as a, as a team and if, if they would have gotten on it would have been uh, because of an awesome weekend from from Sydney um men's side um yeah I've got to go uh JP uh, it's it's hard to ignore someone winning two events when they were not even projected to be all American um one of the biggest uh I think upsets probably in a while especially when you look at winning two events um, and then distance, um, yeah, I mean, Wilkinson, I mean, we knew he was going to dominate, um, but just the way he looked doing it and, and the way he looked in that 5k, um, was really impressive. Um, I'd be really excited to see him run against some, some competition. Um, uh, I think, you know, he's ready to run 1340s and, and break the, the D3 record, I think for sure. And, and in the steeple, you know, he, he may uh, definitely give that trials a uh, number of run uh, of 840. So 
Um, really excited to see what's ahead for him. Um, and women's side, yeah, I think we, we, you guys have hit the two. Um, you know, uh, like Annie said, I think just the 10K, 5K double is, is brutal. Um, so that's going to be my pick um, with, with Parley. Yeah, one person who got the short end of the stick here is Ella, uh, Ella Barron from Johns Hopkins. She closed that 1,500 and a 61. You know, it's a good thing that Emily made that move because chances are if she doesn't make that move, you know, right after the 800, she's going to get caught in that last lap. And then she has to go up against Parley. Uh, she ran a pretty smart tactical race. Uh, wasn't Didn't really go with that three that broke away there of Anna Tucker, Parley, and... Uh, Isabel Cardi and comes down and closes that last K really well to finish runner up. So she's got to get some credit there on, on a great day and led a Johns Hopkins women team, uh, you know, almost to a podium. That distance squad uh, mixed in with some field events uh, really put in a, a strong effort to, to, to get them a chance at a trophy. You know, Annie, we didn't have you on for that recap. It was kind of like a quick little, hey, let's jump on really quick. But I want to hear your thoughts on the women's steeple. We missed you. We missed mm. you. Uh, you mentioned you got to get over that last barrier. Um, you know, the, the current leader stumbled a little bit going into that barrier, lost momentum. And then Aubrey Fisher was able to capitalize on that and close really hard. You know, what did you see from that race that really stood out to you that thought like, oh, she could take this win? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was exciting. I feel like. Okay. To be honest, I was cheering for Aubrey because I felt like my honor had to be upheld. I said that she would win. And so I was very anxious that last lap that she wasn't going to win. I said she was going to win. Um, yeah, I, I was impressed. I felt like she definitely was not leading the whole race. She was um, just holding on and a few barriers, water barriers. I saw her definitely slip back, lose a little bit of momentum. And every time I was like, no, stay with her, stay with her. Like there's one lap, like just stay on her. Um, a gap started opening up, I think after, during the first 100 of the last lap. Um, and I, I, for a second, I was like, oh, that's it. Like she's, she's going to lose. But yeah, there's definitely some hesitation um, on the last barrier. And Fisher just, I mean, she took it and she went and I think she just looked stronger. Um, the reason I said she was going to win is she just had faster times overall. You could see that. Um, closing speed and the range um and that definitely showed in the race I thought both of them had very good barriers um definitely relaxed um a little bit of yeah definitely a little bit of like stuttering on some of them but um not a whole ton especially considering like I said I think on the d3 women's level there's a lot of people who haven't been doing it a lot um so you usually do get a lot of um, newer people stuttering, learning the event still. Um, and I thought they looked pretty good actually. So I was impressed. Um, I think both PRs for them too, um, commendable times for sure. Um, so it was impressive. It was, it was exciting too. I feel like in the women's steeple historically, at least the last four or five years, um, it's not usually a race. I feel like it, it's rarely where there's not even necessarily the top two people, but just everyone in a pack, um, always watching the men. I feel like it's always a huge pack of steeplers. And in the women's, I feel like it's almost always strung out, at least since I've been there. I mean, I think every year, except for my junior year, I have been running by myself. And, and even when I wasn't winning, like just running completely by myself, I feel like it usually gets very strung out. And so it was really exciting to see so many people so close together, even third, fourth, fifth. I mean, they were all super close and like pack running the whole time. So it was a very exciting event. And correct me if I'm wrong here in 2018, your junior year, didn't you have a similar victory <laughs> as Aubrey? I did. Yeah. It actually reminded me a lot of that. Um, and I hope she was having a better time doing it because I just remember wanting to give up the whole time. Yeah. I followed literally side by side um, to this other girl, the whole race literally and then um my coach actually the night before was like I feel like it's going to come down to the last barrier Annie I feel like it's going to happen and I was like you're crazy and the girl actually she was a very great runner and I mean she ran also a 10 15 10 16 which is obviously fast but she stepped on the barriers 
And so that last one, I was like, I can't lose to someone who's going to step on them. And so I took that momentum and um, used that to go past her. But yeah, so it was similar. So let's go into some of these events now. Um, look at some of the results, get some instant feedback. We kind of go in order as um, things happen. We won't, we won't dwell on it too much, but looking at that women's 1500, as we mentioned, you know, Emily sets the national record in the prelim, comes in easily as the favorite, but it was still a race, a lap to go. But something that's interesting to close in uh, for the, these women for top six, they all closed faster than a 69. So any high school, you know, girls out there looking, having aspirations, if you want to get to the top five, top six, and then D3 national meet, you got to be able to close in 69, which I think is super impressive and shows the, the depth this year that some of these women have had and, and showed. And we mentioned Ella close in a 61. Um, big shout out to Jordan Hurlbutt making us look good finishing third and, <laughs> and getting that top three, uh, Jordan, watching this race, did you ever think Emily was in trouble at all? I, I didn't, I think it was, she's measuring her effort. She knew she had, uh, the 800, um, not too long after this. And it, it, I think for her, it was just a decision of, okay, do I either go early so that I don't have to have this big gear at the end, or do I wait for a big kick? And, and I think she made the right decision to go a little early and, and then she could, you know, run a pretty comfortable last lap for her, um, you know, as a, a 2 800 runner, um, a 66 is not that fast for her. Um, so I, I think she ran pretty comfortably and, and didn't have to exert a lot of effort. I mean, she ran eight seconds off of what she ran in the prelims, which in the 1500 is uh, a lifetime. Um, so yeah, I think it was just about measuring the effort, not doing anything more than she had to. Yeah, and Johns, Johns Hopkins goes two, four, eight, as we were kind of mentioned in that preview show. You know, that's going to be a, a great feeling to finish the race, turn around and see both your teammates coming in. And I know we, we were talking about the 1500, but something I want to commend Melissa Rowland for uh, in that women's steeplechase. I don't know if you all saw this, but after she crossed the line, her teammate, um, Anna Sagler, or Slagler, excuse me, finishes six as an All-American, I want to say, and they immediately embrace. And I'm sure inside she was like pissed that she didn't win, but they instantly celebrated together. They instantly went to their fans that were there and celebrated with them. And I thought that was a great um, team moment. And so, you know, that probably reminds me of these three women from Johns Hopkins sharing that as well. Uh, breaking down the All-Americans, we had Emily Pomainville, Ella Barron, Jordan Hurlbutt, Teresa Olshansky, Zanzi Demko, Evie Boltmeyer, Sydney Packard, and Ariel uh, Keklak from Johns Hopkins. Any surprises, anything you want to call out here? One thing to note, as we mentioned, Hope Murphy, the only true freshman in the 1500-meter field, was 19th coming in, finishes 11th, so jumps up eight spots, bright future for her. Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing of note was, you know, the one, the one person in the field that tried to cover the move with Emily, um, Sydney, uh, she kind of paid for that a little bit and, you know, still hung on to be all American, um, but, um, you know, took a chance on herself, which you always love to see um, just then, you know, couldn't, couldn't hold it, but still hung on for all American. And I think that was a, a PR for her as well. Um, I think a lot of these women ran new uh, lifetime vests. Yeah, because there, there was only a handful that were close to running 432 or faster, and to be All-American, you had to run 432. So, you know, strong, strong showing there. As we move to the men's 1500, Gabe shows out. I was silly to think that he couldn't win. Not that I couldn't think he'd win, but, um, you know, he proved, he proved the haters wrong in this one and kind of led wire to wire there. That last 200 was just crazy. And I was looking into this. So besides the top three times, this was the fastest men's 1500 we've seen in quite some time. So per place, the, uh, shout out to the Sage Hens on their historian report. They break it down by place. So coming from four through eight, it's the, that's the fastest someone has run for fourth place, fifth place, sixth place, seventh and eighth. So we witnessed a pretty historical fast race as we kind of alluded to, you know, Annie, you've, you've front run a ton in your career there, your senior year, 
when you're front running like that is what's the feeling like coming down that last hundred meters? Like, you know, you've had sizable gaps, but when there's something that small, you know, is there a, a, a little thought in the back of your mind that someone's going to catch you? I feel like every time I frontline, there's a thought that someone's going to catch me, but I feel like I do enjoy frontlining. Um, I, I probably need to be better at not leading. Um, but as someone who enjoys it, I feel like that's why I enjoy it is because I feel like it just pushes me to go that much faster if I'm just constantly thinking that there's someone behind me, but definitely the last 100 is a scary moment. I feel like, especially in a race like that, where you're running your fastest in a 5k, I mean, um, I feel like there's usually a little bit of a kick and you know, you're not, you're not going all out. I feel like at the end of a 1500, you're already running as fast as you can pretty much, you know, like it, it's not as much of a choice, but whether if someone comes up behind you, if you'll be able to move or not, kind of like at the end of it, like a 400, like you're not, you know, if someone comes, you may not be able to react. Most people in a 5k will be able to react a little bit. If you're already running that fast, you may not have it. So it's definitely scary. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's always a chance of someone coming up behind you, but in a 1500 where you're already running a 346, um, thinking someone may be coming is terrifying. And you just got to, I mean, you don't, you don't even have time to turn around and look, you just got to go for it and hope no one comes. Yeah. And I think in this race, uh, Stu, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think almost all eight, all Americans ran lifetime best. Um, yeah. I, think, I think Nick Hoffman, did he have a, a, a 347 PR? No. Gabe was the only one to run 347, um, had an instant the meet. Okay, yeah, uh, so then I Ritterhoff think- had 348, yeah. Yeah, so everybody uh, in the top eight, you had to run a PR uh, to be All-American. And, you know, we talked about it on the, um, our second, you know, our, our day two, two recap, um, that you would probably have to close in like 57 to be All-American. And, you know, we look at uh, Gabe close in 57, Jake 57, Nick 58 low, Travis 57 high, Sam 56 high. Um, only one person was all American without running sub uh, 59 second last lap. Um, and on top of that, everybody but one all American broke two minutes for their last 800. Um, so that's just what it takes. Um, you've got to be able to do that. And this was off of a fast pace. A lot of times we see it off of, you know, not a slow start, but a, you know, a comfortable start and, and guys close super hard. Um, they did it off of, uh, you know, an honest first uh, 700 meters and, and, and then just ripped uh, a, a final 800. So you just, that's what you have to do to be competitive in, in the, the 1500. Super impressive for Gabe to be able to do that from the front. Um, and just dare guys to try to go around them and, and nobody could, um, shout out Travis Martin. Um, you know, he didn't get the win comes home fourth though. I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> you know, he was, he was not projected to be, uh, all American if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but had a really good close comes home for three, one hundredths off the top three. So, you know, he didn't fulfill my, my, my winning pick or even top three, but you know, I feel pretty good about it and he still takes home the good guy at the meat awards. So really, <laughs> really good weekend for, for Travis Martin. And something to notice here too, you know, Will Hauser is the only true freshman. He finishes eighth and is an all American, but you look, all of these guys are eligible to come back next year. Right. And I know Gabe is a senior for sure. Not sure what his plans are, but this entire field has a chance to, repeat itself next year, which is exciting. I think the men's 1500, we were mentioning this with um, Charlie Marcourt on his episode, you know, he felt he was part of the, the pristine of D3 1500 meter running. And I think we're kind of coming into a new wave of really fast 1500 meter runners on both the men and the women, you know? Um, so I think that's something to know. It'll be interesting to see what Gabe does. If he does come back, use that eligibility go somewhere else because, you know, 346 off a hot start, there's a lot more in the tank. And looking back at the women, you know, it's a pretty senior heavy field. So there's only a few a handful in there that has uh, eligibility left. So we'll see what their plans are as well. You know, before we jump into that 800, I want to touch on the men's 400 and Michael Stanley out of North Central. I don't know if you guys caught this one, but uh, he was leading 
into 200 meters and then Jared Storm from Mountain Union comes blazing off the turn, passes him and he fights back in that last 100 meters, last 20 meters takes it and takes the win. Uh, looks like it was a North Central uh, school record, but that was just an effort there that you needed to don't give up even in the 400 when it gets tough. Um, so the, I think the matchup of the, of the meet that we were on the sprint side looking forward to was favor e Bailey, favor versus mm. Bailey and Bailey comes out on top. She ran 11, six Oh wind aided in the prelim. And I, these hundreds didn't disappoint. They were pretty, they were pretty fast. They're pretty, uh, tight across the board, but Bailey comes away with the victory. That double, you got a question, not question, favor one, the one tens, how much of an impact that have on, on her? She finishes fourth. I feel like it had a lot. I was going to give a shout out to her because when I was watching that part, I mean, they were, she was on the podium, like 10 minutes before they were about to do the 100 meters. And I was like, Oh, because I thought it was for when they were showing the podium, I thought I had missed the 100 and I thought it was for the 100. I was like, yeah, I called it. And then they were like, oh, 110 hurdles. I was like, oh, or 100 hurdles. I was like, oh, okay. And then literally 10 minutes later, she was on the line. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like that's really stressful to be. I mean, it's not a distance event where you're trying to do a 10, 15 minute warm up, but I mean, you're trying to get in the zone. You're trying to think about the race. And, you know, she was still celebrating her win from earlier and still having to do all the stuff that the officials wanted her to do and being interviewed. So shout out to her. Um, I feel like it definitely, I mean, all those rounds, three events, that's a lot. I mean, even if you're used to doing it as a sprinter, that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure. And that's a lot of um, time to be trying to concentrate and focus on the next thing without focusing on the next thing too much that you're not focused on what you're doing then. So shout out to her. She got the dub in the hundred hurdles. So I'm glad she walked away with a win, but um, I think it definitely impacted her 100, 200 performances. Yeah, still still comes away with a national championship and and two uh, two all American finishes in, in the one and the two. So um, yeah, still still a, a really successful weekend for her. Yeah, something I want to go on a tangent here. You kind of mentioned on the broadcast and. Um, the assistant coach at Coe College, Sam Martin, he tagged us in one of his tweets and kind of a thread about the production. And I'm not here to like rag on the guy and, and um, anything like that. I mean, but you got to think, why does the NCAA send one person to cover a three-day meet every single event? You know, there was a lot of pauses there in the, in the women's and, and men's 10K. You know, Jordan and I hopped on Instagram Live to kind of cover it as well. And I had it on the background and for the majority of the race there, it's just silent. And, you know, if the NCAA wants to keep sending people to these meets, at least have them who have some, uh, who are, who've been following, who have done research, you know, he mentioned that Parley was a freshman and this was her first year running and sure you could look on our TFERS and it says that, but then he mentioned later in the meet, some guy who stayed for his graduate year. So it was interesting what he chose and picked to say and call out in terms of his research. Um, you know, he, they kept calling the meet records, national records. <laughs> so, you know, I, if you're on Twitter, we'll link it. Sam Martin put a nice thread. He didn't want to bash the guy, but you know, there's so much effort that goes into a D3 national meet and think of everything that these athletes and coaches have gone through this past year to get to this meet. And then family members who can't travel because we're in a pandemic. And then there's this production where, you know, there's hot mics getting picked up. They can't split screen. I have friends who are in production who, if there's multiple cameras and they have a production crew there, I don't think it's that hard to be able to split screen to show the throws while the 400 meter prelims are happening. So I don't want to rag on the guy or rag on the production, but I think there needs to be something changed about it. So that way people who follow the sport can speak to it, bring more than one person there. So if anyone on the executive committee is listening, we are interested in any national meet moving forward to be on there, be included, don't have to be the main people, but bring people on who follow the sport, who know the athletes, who know the stories that can bring a more compelling storyline to this meet rather than oh he's up and over the bar 
every time a high jumper clears or have some conversation during the 10k. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen it a little bit in, in cross country, you know, say what you will about flow track. Obviously that's a, a whole nother, uh, hot button item for, for some folks, but, um, we've seen since they've taken over the coverage, uh, they bring in, you know, former division three runner. Um, you know, I think Johnny Crane has done it the last few years, um, a North central, um, so he's familiar with how the sport works, how our division works. Um, he does his research. Um, so he's able to provide other, other insights. And, and that's uh, obviously they're doing it for profit, you know, where they're charging people. So um, you expect obviously a certain level. And, and a lot of people will say, oh, the NCAA is providing a free stream, but the NCAA is also a billion dollar corporation. Um, and, uh, you know, schools pay a lot of money into the NCAA and, and obviously they get advertising and they were running commercials during uh, this free stream. So again, it's, yeah, what's the production level that we expect? And um, I think, I think we can do better. Um, it's just being creative to, to get it done, but yeah, it'd be great for them to bring in, you know, former national champs, you know, in, in various areas, just to talk about it as, as they're watching the meet. Um, yeah. I don't know how we get that going. Cause I think at the end of the day, the NCAA is going to do what the NCAA wants. And I think a lot of times that means spending the least amount of money possible. Um, and so we'll see. I'll get on the stew. <laughs> Stu and uh, uh, Noah announcing the track and field national meet uh, 2022. I'll jump on that bandwagon. I feel like um, that's an interesting point because I think that um, outside of D3 running, this has been a conversation for the past specifically year, um, year and a half, I think, with more people having the time during COVID to pay attention to that. Um, I feel like in professional and even on the D1 level, there's been kind of a movement towards um, – finding the stories and telling those stories. Sidious Mag obviously has been a huge front runner in that, um, all the small other podcasts that have started up. And I think that's kind of the way that the sport is moving towards trying to um, become larger, become more popular. Um, and I think this is really interesting because I feel like D3 has some, like we could really capitalize on that, right? Like D3 Nationals, as you guys, D3 Running has been doing now for the past year. I mean, it has so many unique stories, so many success stories and um, weird ways coming to the sport that D3 Nationals should be like the pinnacle of telling people's stories and finding all these really cool things. And like a lot of, um, I mean, I just feel like it could really be big to the whole running community, right? Because that's what people seem to love. Um, and D3 has those stories way more, I think, than D1 or D2. So I feel like there's a huge market. There's a huge like opportunity here to kind of elevate D3 to maybe be more popular than it is with the rest of the running community. Um, and it is disappointing that I feel like NCAA, I mean, as always, as with any of the larger like organizations, I feel like within running is going to be slow to jump on that and slow to change and slow to listen to what the people want. and um, which is sad because it's definitely preventing like the growth of the sport and the growth of D3, which um, could be really large, I think. Yeah, my goal next year for nationals, even this cross country season, I'm not gonna be sitting in my room tweeting about it while watching the live stream. Hopefully I can be there bringing interviews because there needs to be a flow track-esque of division three. You know, the people who are writing about D3 right now and we haven't got there yet, you know, they just kind of touch the surface on some things with some baseline information and, you know, flow track doesn't even give a full team prediction, you know, they'll write paragraphs and paragraphs about each D one team, but then like, all right, here's the top 10 teams. And they just throw that out there with little to no research on it. So yeah, I, what we're doing here at D three glory days is hopefully bringing the stories. And now, you know, maybe we'll start shifting that to continue that, but also move to, current athletes to bring more D3 to the forefront because yeah, Annie, as you said, there's so many ways, all these stories we've been telling so far, it's crazy what people have done to get to where they are and to um, do what they've done. I mean, look at you, you were a soccer player turned runner and come away with a D3 national record. Parley was a tennis player. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some other people who've had taken uh, 
Esther Herb, Esther Herb Atkins was on a treadmill and became a 10K national champion. So there's so much stuff out there that needs to be recognized. And I think D3 athletes work just as hard as any other athlete in the nation. And to get a less than uh, proper production of the, like you said, the pinnacle of the sport just gives everyone a little bit of a disservice at home watching and the athletes at I think um, this is kind of a tangent, but I also think that it, it sets it up to be more difficult for D3 runners to continue. Um, Esther's a great example. She also lives in Greenville, so I see her often, but it is, I think, incredibly more difficult to become a professional runner as a D3 athlete, no matter what your times are, because there's not that name recognition. Um, Emily Pomainville, if she wanted to go professional now, I think would have a harder time than an equivalent girl who runs 413 because she doesn't, I mean, Flow Track's not writing about her, right? Not that they're always writing about every D1 girl that runs 413, but um, I just feel like it's like D3 is, I think the large organizations within D3 are creating this problem for themselves that are making it slightly more difficult to continue to reach those levels. Um, and shout out to all the D3 runners who have gone pro and are doing really well, Noah, Will Lear, but it's really difficult. Um, I mean, and the track world getting into races is about having, I mean, name recognition, you know, you can run whatever time, but if you want to get to the big meets in order to get more name recognition, you have to have the name recognition um, at some of them. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like D3 runners are running the times, but it's really difficult to continue doing that um, already within the other existing problems within like trying to make money and stuff like that as a runner on the next level. But yeah. Yeah. Something that we, uh, we need to figure out. Should we, uh, should, do we want to jump off the soapbox? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's get off. Yeah. I'll get off the, the soapbox. Yeah. Let's get go, back uh, to the, the 800. <laughs> yeah. Give that get Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stop my, uh, my rant here, but yeah, going back to the 800, the matchup, we were all anticipating Emily versus Esther and doesn't disappoint. Esther comes away with the victory and runs a new meet record. Both the PA announcer and the video announcer said it was a national record. Um, but either way, still impressive to run 202-52, take down Emily Pomainville. And then the rest of the field, I mean, it was still a super competitive competitive race while watching this did you was esther the clear favorite from from the gun you think yeah um i mean we we knew especially with emily doubling um it was going to be a tall ask um she still ran really well and for esther i think that's only she was only two 100s off the olympic trials uh qualifying mark i believe it's 202.5 um so she's knocking on the door of, of Olympic trials. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was the Esther Seeland show. Um, I think we, we knew that we've seen this matchup a number of times, um, when they've both been fresh and, you know, obviously nothing against Emily. She has her own, uh, national meet record, uh, to her name. Um, but, um, it was, it was just going to be tough. Um, we saw, uh, all three women that, uh, you know, attempted their, the double, um, all three were all American um, with uh, Emily um, Zanzi Demko and, and Sydney Packard. Um, again, that's a really tough double. Um, you're running four races over the course of three days with the 15 and 800 final being, you know, uh, like an hour or so apart. So shout out to those three um, on, on getting that done. And, and uh, we forgot to mention her yesterday a Calvin runner, Micah, want to let us know. Delaney Saul of Calvin is another true freshman. So that's another true freshman becoming an All-American. Awesome to see, you know, running 213 in the final there. So middle distance events with these, with these freshman first years, it's going to be exciting to see what they can do uh, moving forward. And, you know, Alexis Gray of Wittenberg, she put herself out there and went and was the one that was leading that chase pack to go off in the top two. And she holds on to become third NCAC represent. <laughs> All right. On the men's side, it was a, it was a fun 800. I 
it was hard to tell who made that move, but it looked like it wanted to be tactical and whoever charged the front just said, nope, we're making this a race. That first 200 was a little bit slow and then they started going after it. Um, that Mike, Mike Jason's move with 200 to go to, puts the hammer down and just doesn't look back. Uh, negative splits, 57.8, 53.8. Runs 151 the hard way. And we see Idris Idris in second, Ben Coxman in third, Stephen Potter fourth. But yeah, this was a, this was a fun one. Uh, you don't really necessarily see a tactical 800 all the time. No, I was thinking about that. This is the first one I can remember, especially like a final. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll see a prelim, but even, even in the eight, usually the prelim, you have people going after it. So yeah, it, it was interesting. And, and you know, Mike just seemed really confident. You know, I thought, you know, him with his kind of 400 background, you know, he would want a, a pretty quick first lap, um, but was really confident in, in his strength to, to be able to close over that last 200. Um, yeah, it was Stephen Potter of UW Oshkosh made a really big move right after 400, um, really pushed the pace. Um, you saw it took a, people a little bit to react to it, uh, but just, you know, wasn't quite able to hold that. Um, and yeah, Idris Idris, um, he had a great, he actually had the fastest last lap, um, sl- ever so slightly faster than, than uh, Mike's. Um, so shout out to him. He ran really well to get second. Um, my pick to win ended up third. I'll take that. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting 800, but it also made it fun because it's not something we, we see all the time. I don't want to, you know, take so much credit, but I did call Idris Idris being second. So, <laughs> shout out to Stu. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the rain delay happened, which was confusing because the women's 400 meter hurdles got out on the track as the rain started coming down. The men got out on the track. They had what two a false start potentially, and then they went again, and then they called it again, put them in the tent. I went outside to, you know, get outside for the first time during the day. And I look at my phone and they tweet out who the national champion was. They cut, so they put the, the guys into a tent, bring them back out in the rain. And then they have a massive rain delay, which I don't know the ruling on that, but that doesn't seem like the best practice for any event to be, have a small rain delay and then take them back on the track. Yeah, the times are really slow um, for for what these athletes are are capable of. So yeah, again, I did the same thing. I turned it off thinking, oh, this is going to be at least a 30 minute delay. Um, That's typically what they do. And, you know, I was UW lacrosse a a few years ago at that meet, there was a rain delay and, and yeah, they'll give the athletes typically time to warm up again and, and they'll, you know, set a new meet schedule. And I was looking all over Twitter, trying to find any account that was tweeting out what the delay was, when it was going to be, you know, the NCAA D3 account didn't have anything. The NCAA track and field in their bio just says they cover division one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there was no uh, official account that I could find telling us what was going on. Cause obviously when you're just watching, we don't know, we just see them stop running and they just put up a weather delay uh, insignia, but yeah, really, really odd. And, and I missed it as well, but yeah, the, the one thing I noted looking at the times were, you know, these other than the top three athletes, you know, the rest of the field didn't even run times that would qualify. So it probably is a combination of, of the bad weather, you know, running in, in a downpour and then also obviously standing around for 10 minutes before your event. Not ideal. Yeah, I did see Dallas Wright. Um, he fell that last hurdle, um, but got back up and was able to finish fourth. Uh, that could have had some big implications in the team battle if he didn't finish, if he finished a little bit um, further back there. So as we begin to kind of wrap things up here, we go to the, we go to the 5k women were up first. Well, shout out JP Vaught there uh, center getting the dub in the 200. Um, and this, this was a little bit more of a, of a battle here for a while. Uh, the pack seemed to stay with each other there for a little bit longer, more so than the 10k. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Parley, Isabel Cardi, and Anna Tucker break off. And Par- Parley's move with a K to go was the one that sealed the deal there um, to take the victory. 
as we mentioned, Ella Baron, you know, kind of, uh, waited a little bit there. Uh, those didn't go with the group right away and then closed her last, uh, 800 in 229 to come in second. You know, I thought she ran a, a pretty smart tactical race. And we mentioned in the preview show that the, the women who weren't doubling would be factors and they were, uh, Isabel Cardi third and a Tucker fourth, Fiona Smith, Fiona Smith fifth, and then uh, Helen Dolan, eighth. So four of them take All-American honors. Anything that stood out to you while watching this race? Yeah, I mean, Isabel Cardi pushed the pace early. Um, she did a lot of the leading over the first, uh, you know, two-thirds of the race almost. Um, I think it was probably right around the two-mile um, that uh, Parley took over. Um, but, yeah, she, she put herself out there. Um, gave herself a chance. And the other thing is just Ella, Ella Baron, uh, that closing speed counts. It matters. We saw it in the 1500 closing in 61 seconds. Um, you look at her last three laps and she kind of just, um, ratcheted down the pace and it was able to catch some of those people that went with the leaders, um, and, and comes home second. Um, she went 78, 76, 73, um, to close out for the last three laps. Um, and, and other than obviously Parley uh, at the front, uh, those were the fastest uh, laps anybody ran in the race. Yeah, shout out to Ella Barron. I mean, she came in second, so, you know, not quite winning. So maybe a little bit overlooked, but second in both the 1500 and the 5K, which I, I really don't feel like is done often. You know, if you see people getting second in two events, it's 800, 1500, 5K, 10K, but that's a big range. Um, 1630 is very impressive. It looks like it was about a, a 10 second PR. Um, so yeah, I mean, shout out to her. That's impressive. She showed that speed, obviously with that, I think it's at 73 last lap. Um, couldn't quite hold up to Parley Hannon 71, but I mean, after three races, that is, that's very impressive. Um, I'm not sure if she's an actual junior or not, but I'd like to see her come back. Um, I'd be very interested in her progression over the next year and in both of those events. Um, cause 423 is her current 1500 PR. And that is also very impressive. So. Yeah. yeah she has strong meat. I think she was the only one that did that double. Yeah. Pick the wrong Stu. Get the intern. Come, come check. <laughs> <it out. laughs> no, she was. Cause I'm looking at, I'm looking through these, you know, a lot of them are 10 K 5 K doubles. Yeah. And steeple. And then a few people are fresh, but yeah, she was the only one to go for the 15, 5 K double. And yeah, Parley closes in about a five Oh three last mile. So um, if you want to go, to go win a national title, you got to run faster than five Oh three, which Whew, that's that's tough to do and then on the men's side jordan texted me first mile what 428 they they these guys got mm -hmm. after it i mean the women got after it too you know so it's fun to see back-to-back -back 5ks getting after it and not being tactical and and waiting for the last lap or anything like that you know they wanted to see who who could go after it. i mean that opening the opening um 200 was 31 seconds so they they got after it quick and it settled down there uh and then it put, then Wilkinson put on a show, uh, running away with the field, winning by over 15 seconds. And I think the best thing about it was if you saw the camera, cause you know, it just stays on the, on the winner the entire time and won't show the finish line. Uh, they show Matt and his hands are up, like has a surprised look on his face. And so I think it's cool to see that, you know, he's run 1358 this year. He's run seven or excuse me, 844 in the steeple yet running 1355 still shocks him. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's fun to see that he's still getting surprised by himself. And, um, he spoke with us in the preview, uh, that contender show. And he's, you know, it was one of those things where he said going into the race, like probably going to the start line is when he'll figure out if it's going to be a special day or not. And um, he'll let the mid race kind of figure it out. And both races, he's gone for it. Um, he just missed the meet record um, by 0.27. So a pretty impressive showing to run that all alone. And then Alex Phillip coming in second, 1410. That's actually the second. That's actually, so he's now the fastest um, second place finisher at the national meet. That, after looking up at the, that little stat sheet, anything else surprise? Oh, we need to talk about Matthew Sayer. 
We didn't do anything in the preview show and we gushed about him on the day two recap. And now, bam, here he is again, <laughs> finishing third, closing in a 60.9 to solidify his top three spot. He just hauled that last. And and, J- and Jared coming off that 10K, both of them, he closed in 64. But Matthew Sayer, two top three finishes and we didn't say your name. Matthew, if you're listening, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it was a battle behind uh, <laughs> behind Matt. Um, I mean, you just look, this race was fast. You know, rarely does a 5K take what uh, it took to qualify to be All-American. Typically, we see it be a little bit more tactical. You know, if you can survive, uh, you're going to be All-American. Um, you survive that fast finish. You know, when I look at, you know, Andy our guy that was second a couple of years ago in 2019, I think he ran 1430 something to get second because, you know, the first mile was a jog. Um, this one, they, they got after it and you saw the top four all break 1420. Um, and it took 1426, uh, to be all American, but yeah, you look at, um, Matthew 1415, Jared 1418, Joe 1421, um, Christopher call it, uh, coming back from the steeple, 1422. Shout out. Um, those Warburg guys closed really well and they needed to um, for those team points. Um, Chris closed in a 59, um, fastest last lap of the race, and was able to, to move up two spots uh, because of that. So, um, yeah, it was a battle in there um, in, in a really fast race. PRs for a, a number of these guys. Just thinking about um, Matthew Wilkinson, I hope that. I'm not sure exactly how much longer you have to get a D3 record, but he deserves to go after one of them. I feel like he almost got the meet records. Looking it up, it looks like the overall D3 record is 843. Um, and then obviously I think the 5K is 1351. Is that correct, Drabelle? Does he have it? I'm yeah, I mean, he's, I'd like to see him at Music City going after one of those. I feel like with those performances both back-to-back, he deserves to have one record and I, I hope he does because this was a very dominant performance just like we saw um, in the steeple and both looked pretty effortless so I agree with what Jordan said earlier I'd love to see him get in a competitive one of both maybe particularly the steeple for my own enjoyment but um, I think he had he could get both of those if not just one of them yeah and I think one other interesting thing I think seven of the eight all-americans doubled um, wow Maximilian Spark, was he in the 10K? No, his teammate Frank Sorba was. Okay, so I think he was the only one that did not double that was All-American. The other seven, uh, we got Lucas Mueller, um, snagged that eighth place after getting second in the 10K, Christopher Allette, um, steeple runner-up in six, Joe um, fifth after being, I believe, fourth in the 10K, um, Jared gets fourth after the win in the 10K, uh, Matthew Sayre, um, third coming back from the 10k Alex Phillip um was also in that that 10k get second here and then uh like we've been talking about Matt so um pretty interesting that a lot of the guys that just decided to focus on the 5k um you know didn't didn't necessarily have the race that they wanted or were hoping for yeah I think as we're still talking about track but this is going to be an interesting storyline for cross country next year as Joe mentioned in his episode that majority of his guys, his senior class are coming back. You know, Christopher Collett looks like he's actually a sophomore, but with freshman eligibility, you know, two guys there, John Carroll will be interesting to see what they do with their eligibility left. Uh, And then teams that aren't in the 5k that need to be talked about is obviously Jordan, your team, but we're not going to give you the um, time because we already did, but Williams is going to be back in the mix. We haven't seen a lot of their distance guys this track season, but they're competing on unatta- two of them are competing unattached right now. Aiden Ryan ran 1351 for the 5k. Elias Lingren has run 1409 for a 5k. Pretty confident that might be the best one to 5k D3 of all time. Uh, so leaving off with these uh, 5ks gets you got to get you excited for cross country season. I'm on to the next season already. Yeah, I'm ready. I've been waiting. You know, our, our, we've been uh, we've been uh, kind of twiddling our thumbs here for over a year, waiting to to get some competition. So we're we're uh, I'm excited for cross country. 
yeah, there's going to be some new teams like Lynchburg, you know, they've made the national meet before, but you know, they've never been up in the mix, you know, John Carroll, they've had individuals up there, but um, yeah, so there's some new teams, you know, I think we'll obviously have the teams we're familiar with being towards the front, but there's going to be some, some new contenders and, and it's going to be a really fun season. Yeah. And that, and that is a, a great place to, to leave off as we get excited about cross country, but wow, what a weekend for D3 track and field. It was great to see everyone back competing and, you know, under the same roof again and getting, ripping some fast times. Thank you both for helping me out this weekend and, and providing some coverage. I hope everyone at home enjoyed what we're bringing you. If you aren't following us on Twitter or Instagram, please do D3 Glory Days. Jordan, Annie, thank you. This was a blast as always. Thanks, Stu. All right, that does it for this year's coverage of the 2021 D3 Outdoor Championships. It's been a blast bringing you this coverage, talking with Annie and Jordan about their thoughts and seeing D3 track and field competing once again at the national stage. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's been fun. We're going to bring you more coverage with some current athletes. So stay tuned this week. We got some exciting episodes in store for you. As mentioned, feel free to support us on social media. Link in the bio for all of that. It's been a blast. I'll talk to you soon. Here's to the glory days.